suspects, sir, and I'm prepared to make a full report. These men are consummate snowball artists. They use sense and nerve gases to induce hallucinations. People think they're seeing ghosts. And they call these bozos who conveniently show up to deal with the problem with a fake electronic light show. Everything was fine with our system until the power grid was shut off by Dickless here. They caused an explosion. Is this true? Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. So Give up, let it go. How'd the fucking stage go, man? Uh, 
yeah, I felt good the first lap, and then it's more of the same. Just stuck at the back of the field all day. Were you? Yeah. Just got well, thin at the back. Yeah, it's just been my theme for the year ever since I came back. I just like can't. I feel the same like the first race I came back. I feel the same now. What is it? It's no, 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 like uh, just no go. I don't know. Like just like no top end, you know. Like I can't. Like the strength on that leg just isn't there, you know. So. Does it? It sounds totally glib, but like, are you trying too hard? <clears throat> like over overtraining. Overtraining, overthinking. Nah, you I mean, know. you know, you know your body. And things are going in the right direction. Like you look at my power profiles and everything; it's like constant improvement. It's just like never as fast as you want it to be, you know. Yeah. So. Cause, dude, you so you you had a great year last year. Yeah. Are we on the? Yeah. Oh, okay. We're, we're rolling. Yeah. Um, you had a great year last year. Riding high, little weirdness with Spider Tech, but you sw- switched over pretty seamlessly. Yeah, no, um, thrilled to land on my feet at, uh, at Saxo. Dude, you, like, you didn't land on your feet, you got, like, thrown up a level. <laughs> it's, like, it's, you're supposed to go down when that happens, yeah, yeah. not actually go up. No, it's a, it's a great situation, and, um, you know, this this year has been a, a really tough year on me, and, um, I've really, really been buoyed by the, my team and the environment yeah. I'm in, and, um, just, you know, in the hardest, hardest moments, I'm just, like, you know, to be surrounded by these people and in, in, in this environment really helps me. Did you know any of these people before? Yeah, I, kn- I knew knew a few. Um, the big one was Rory. Uh, you know, yeah. we've been good buds in the, in the peloton in, over the years, so was, we were pretty psyched to actually race on the same team together. I always get a, like a strange vibe with Rory. Like, I would, I'm never sure if he likes me or he's being really <laughs> passive aggressive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we have this really strange. That's how I felt about you the first time I met you, man. Really? Yeah. When was that? <laughs> uh, yeah, the first time I'm talking I, about Isigam days. I don't know about the first. T- yeah, the first time we actually hung out huh. long term. Yeah, probably is it him. Wow, that's weird. Tell me about that. I love. I was it. like, there's. I think there's a lot of people in the peloton like that. Like kind of standoffish at first, and then once you're in their circle and they realize you're cool, then then they totally open up and they're a good person. You know. Right. I think. I remember one of the first first rides we did together in Isaham. I'm riding with Big Mike Creed here. Fuck, I'm like, so oh, scared. Man, I'm so nervous. No, no, it's not bad. And I like hawked a loogie on the side. I spit, and I totally spit on you. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, fuck them. <laughs> you spit on me. I'm like, oh my god, I just spit on Mike Creed on my first freaking day on the national team. <laughs> That's fucking funny. Do you remember that? I know. I don't remember that. I remember. Uh, I remember knowing that you got second place in the time trial at Nationals that year. I remember seeing that you had, like, basically a road bike with with <laughs> arrow bars. I thought that was pretty fucking legit. I was like, okay, this kid. And then I met you in Isigum. I remember having a conversation with you in the kitchen. It was, like, this... It was a conversation that was, re, was remarkably lacking in bullshit. You know? Like... You know, some guys, like, you talk to them, and there's a, just a lot of bullshit comes out. Like, ah, and then I'm, you know, and then I was doing this, and then, but this guy fucked me off, and, you know, now I'm trying to get here, and I'm, whatever. And you were just like, you were very, like, yeah, no, it's great to be here. I'm going to try really hard. Like, I'm excited. Well, thank you. Thank yeah, I remember being 
No, I think I liked you instantly. <laughs> I don't think there's any. I think. I mean, with Rory, is the same. I think the passive aggressive thing comes. I mean, I think it's pretty obviously like some kind of insecurity. Like you see these people of. I mean, you have like an insecurity about how you're going to perform, and then you see other people not as people, but maybe like more as threats, you know? Yeah. I just I know, you know, as, as athletes, we all have these, we all have a face we put on, you know, mm-hmm. maybe on the bike and off the bike when we're amongst our our competition. You know what I mean? Yeah. But so often that's not who the person really is. Right. You know, because we fight for spots and we fight for. T- we right, for we're, we're friends and teammates, but we're enemies too, you know. Well, I think you get to this point where you... I mean, I'm not going to speak for you, but for myself, like, in my most insecure days, my most frightened days, I would see even my friend's success as a threat against me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let alone a stranger. Yeah. So, like, when a new kid came up... Right, right, And right. he was just kicking ass and right. he was making it seem easy and he didn't... He didn't, like, uh, have the worries I did seemingly. Like, I, for sure, I would make stories up in my brain to, like, find reasons to not. I would make it very easy for these people to hate them. Yeah. Like, they would just have to do one thing. I'd well, be like, this fucking guy. And, it's, yeah, it's just, it's all rooted in making these false assumptions. That Oh, yeah, it's just you know? plain insecurity. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, before you finally get to the point of, like, he's... In the end, he's just a bike racer. I'm just yeah. a biker. Like, we're yeah. really no different. Yeah. yeah. I think sometimes, too, at least for me, is you really hate in others what you see in yourself. Mm-hmm. So you see a guy, like, acting a certain way, and you know you have the capability of acting that way, and you just fucking hate it. Right. You're just like, oh, I fucking hate that. Right. Because you're, you're, you're you so understand. familiar with it. Yeah, you, you understand it. it. Yeah. You're like, oh, no, yeah. yeah. That, I could probably be that guy if I wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty instantly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, shit, dude. It's good that the team is uh, being so awesome with you, seemingly. I mean... Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a good environment. Um, Do you have a contract for next year? I don't. I don't. It's that, that time of year, so I'm... Um, Talk going good? Yeah. I'd, I'd love to be back in Saxo. So. I mean, like I said, I'm super positive environment. Yeah. Um, surrounded by great teammates, great staff, and uh, I'd love to be back and build on, uh, you know, a difficult year this year. It's all, it's always, you know, it's always tough to hop around teams, and yeah, it, it takes a year to get settled. And even if things go great and go perfectly, it's like, you know, it, it takes a year to to fit into the system and know what you need to do to be successful, and uh, know what you can expect from people and what they expect from you. Yeah, I was talking to uh, Ted King maybe two or three weeks back at Utah, and uh, we were talking about him being the lone American at uh, Candale. And, you know, I don't think he's going to tell stories out of school, but, you know, he just said, like, yeah, no, I could see the writing on the wall with Timmy. Like, that maybe you didn't quite... Because, dude, you're a Colorado guy, like, mountain guy. I mean... So maybe the the Italian way, while not being the direct opposite, is not similar. Yeah, it's um, you know, pretty old school and and different, and they certainly do a lot of things right. I mean, you can't argue with the success of 
right. uh, both Cannondale and Italians in general. I mean, obviously some of the best bike racers on the planet, you know. Yeah. Um, certainly a lot of things they do right, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult, difficult mold to fit into for sure. Yeah, when it's antithetical to everything you've learned to that point. Yeah. 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 And I think Colorado mountain guys. We have a certain um, do-it-ourselves type yeah. of vibe. Yeah. We don't necessarily like being led all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so was and that independence? Right. Yeah. That was uh, just wasn't jiving there with that with the Italians or. Um, you know, I was happy to, I was happy to be there for two years. I learned a lot. Um. It was a big leap of faith too, because you went from for sure. I mean, you know, I I was things were great at Garmin. I was really comfortable there. You know, no complaints whatsoever. It's just at that point in my career, I just really wanted to rattle the cage and do something completely different. You know, yeah, if you're just comfortable all the time, you're never going to change. You know, yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, I had you know arguably the best season of my career last year. Um, you know, d- despite making a big, huge change, mid- big leap of faith, like you said. Yeah. And, um, yeah, for me, it, it paid off. Yeah. Tell me, dude, what is it like going to the Olympics? How fucking cool it, is that? For me, that's the highlight of my career. Yeah. Bar none. Yeah. If you never make the tour, is it, like, if you never make the tour de France, it makes it okay. Yeah, I mean, obviously. Because there's two races, right? There's two races when people don't know racing. Yeah. Have you done the Olympics? Have you done the tour de France? Right. But it's, but still, it's like, um, you know, you're talking to some person who doesn't know anything about cycling, and they're, oh, you're a bike racer, wow, wow, wow. Have you done the tour? No. And you kind of, like, have a sinking feeling, you know? Yeah, yeah. You're like, but then the Olympics, and, you know, that almost, I think the Olympics almost transcends more than the For sure. Tour de France on one level. I mean, anybody walking down the street anywhere in the world knows what the Olympics are, Right. you know? Isn't it funny, though? Just a quick side note is we just talked about trying to impress people who don't know anything about cycling. <laughs> and then we we uh, don't impress a complete stranger who doesn't know anything about our sport. Right. So that sucks. Right. But I did the Olympics. Right. <laughs> uh, fuck, I don't know what's wrong with our brains. It, yeah, it's like, how do you define success, you know? Is by impressing certain people, maybe people you hate, maybe people you don't even know, oh, be really or is it meeting your goals? You know, I think success is it's it sounds um, I haven't figured out a better way to say it, but it's if you've made a hole for yourself in in life, if you found a you found a glitch in the matrix, and you can exploit that glitch. Where you can live your life as ignorantly as you want. You know what I mean? Like, we're here to bike race, and we haven't watched the news. We don't know what's going on, and we don't have to. We don't know what the unemployment or, rate or, is. Or, yeah, like, the economy is totally in the shit, and people by the zillions are losing their jobs. Right. And we're jacking around riding bikes, making good money. Yeah, we <laughs> live a very ignorant <laughs> life. And, like, well, it's not maybe a... Uh, it's not, like, a life that you can necessarily be braggadocious about you can't brag about being ignorant but yeah. it's definitely a sign of success that you can live your life and not so one dimensionally yeah yeah i mean that it's not maybe fulfilling to live that one dimensionally but it is a sign that you've you've made something for yourself 
yeah, you know, it's I've obviously been thinking about that a lot lately. Just you know, to be world class in anything mm. requires a one-dimensional mentality for you know maybe your lifetime. You know, you and I are 30, 31 years old or whatever. And as cyclists, I mean, we've we've been athletes since we were seven or whatever. You know, yeah. it's like that one dimension. One, I've basically since I've been able to like think for myself and do stuff for myself, I've had the one dimensional athlete mentality. You know, for the last twenty years. You know. Yeah. And at at that point, you're kind of just like, yeah, I've just you know been so selfish as an athlete. You have to be selfish, uh, in in such a narrow world, and you're just like. Oh, there's a lot of other things I want to do in life too, or I, I think about, or that that I miss. And you know, certainly cycling has given me things, given us both things that we've never traded for the world. You know, but uh, it it gives you incredible stories. Yeah. Like, I was 18 years old and running around Cuba on a scooter for in between races for two days. Yeah. I slept on the beach in Cuba. Yeah. That would have never happened if right. friends. But on the flip side of that, I haven't stayed in contact with many friends. Right. How many uh, weddings have you missed? What? How many funerals have you missed? How many birthdays? Yeah. Like there's you feel like you've accomplished some big thing and then you can get home and it could seem very lonely. Yeah. Like what I'm what I'm battling with right now is you you always, it's the cliche line of, I can't wait to go home and not get away from the team, get away from racing. I can't handle being around another bike racer. There's things that everybody has said. But then you get home, and most of your high school friends have moved, uh, had babies. They can't go drinking on a Tuesday night. Right, right, right. You, so now you, you're down to like one or two friends that you can call on a Monday or Tuesday night to go drinking. And you start to realize, like, you know, man, for as much as I think I'm cooler than this, I'm, I'm cooler than bike racers. Like, most of my friends are bike racers. Yeah. My friends are at the race. Yeah. It's a, it's a humbling, but it's a humbling thought to have, but I also am okay with it. I'm like, okay, like, that's, that's it. I think you get kind of, whether you like it or not, you get kind of addicted to the polarity of the life of, of an athlete. You just have these incredible lows and these incredible highs, yeah. and it's just constant yo-yo in between. I mean, because those highs, those highs are, everything seems perfect with the world in those highs. Right, right. You... You walk taller. You you talk better. You you look better. You're funnier. Yeah. People pay th- and <clears throat> to come to that high spot from such a low sometimes, it's just it's like validating. Yep. And the high isn't even doesn't even necessarily have to be a big victory or a major goal accomplished. It can just be just a good day, a good good sensations, good you had fun. Yeah, and then that erases the last three months of shitty times or six months even, or you know. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm looking for right now. I mean, this season has been one of two most difficult seasons of my career, and just every day. Cause, I me, mean, dude, you came in the season just fucking on such a high. Yeah. 
It was so successful. You get bumped up to the pro tour, and you come in. And I know you, man. I know you. I know you went in fucking tour Utah or tour tour down under. I know you went in there fucking ready to prove yourself. I know who. You, I know Timmy Dugan. Timmy Dugan wasn't gonna go find his feet there. Jimmy Dugan was going to let everybody know he came to play. Yeah. And uh, it sounded like you were just off the back of the group, and you were just racing to get back on, just overcook something. Oh, when I cracked? No, I was just in the peloton. It wasn't even a chasing moment or anything. Just kind of a freak thing. And just 95 times out of 100, you may have broke a collarbone, but otherwise you are getting yeah. back up. Yeah, yeah. Fuck, you break your femur, dude? Yeah. They say the femur's most painful bone to break. Tibia. Tibia plateau I broke right below my knee. Okay. So, yeah, no, that was the first time I've ever broken a lower extremity. So, you know, for me, that's a different world. Is it traumatizing? So with, I mean, because you're looking at, I mean, dude, you're looking at your money makers. Yeah, 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 exactly. exactly. Okay, so to tag that, effectively not letting you answer that question. You've had severe brain injury, and you've had you've broken your collarbone. You now you've broken your tibia. Like how much do you let your like do you do you allow yourself to feel sorry for yourself in that moment? Because like I, you come back from brain injury, you know how scary shit can be. Yeah. How? Well, you know what was interesting to me when. I was sitting in the ambulance after that crash because going into this season, I was like, man, if I, you know, God forbid if I have another big injury, like, I'm done, man. Like, this year-long comeback shit sucks. It's so hard. It's not worth it. And that was basically a decision I had made in my head, you know, several months before. And I was sitting there in the ambulance realizing that, you know, my season was in the garbage can and just being done just laying down and giving up like wasn't even definitely wasn't like the instinctual thought the instinctual thought was just like frustration over yeah there's so much I want to do so much I want to do right now so much I want to do this season and now I'm like way back at negative 100 you know because you did the Olympics you had to have been thinking if I if I piece this together right and I nail this right I'm gonna do the tour yeah for sure for sure um yeah I mean you're always trying to continue your uh upward progression progression yeah but um it's never like this you know it's like (laughs) up down and around all the time and hopefully at the end of the day you know you get from point A to point B over the course of a career but you know certainly have obstacles and those obstacles are what makes makes someone a champion, you know. Yeah. Um, nobody ever won a world championship or an Olympics or a Tour de France because it was easy on them the whole time, you know. What keeps you going in that moment? Is it something just innate within you, or is there something you focus on? In that moment when you're laying there in the ambulance. And you say, you know what, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stop. This isn't. I know I said I was gonna stop, but in this <coughs> moment. I'm gonna I'm gonna come back from this. I'm so pissed. I'm gonna come back from this. And yeah, it's like when when do you reach the point in your career when you're when you are happy to stop? No matter what, you're old or you have a terrible injury or 
you're just you've done everything you need to do and it's time to move on like it's never that black and white you know there's Lance won seven Tour de France's and he still had to come back it's yeah. never it's never enough as an athlete you know you can always do more I feel like you have to have your heart broken a lot to finally call time yeah yeah it's you it's no, I mean, kind of a cost cost to benefit equation you yeah, know what I mean yeah no I mean with my back I've just been fighting it for so long and it's just been getting worse and I mean we kind of shared teams for a while at the beginning of my back problems and the the cost of benefit of the continuing to fight the continuing the how unreliable my back was and making how unreliable my emotions were yeah, yeah. it got to the, this point of I mean cycling's just not healthy for me anymore yeah at least yeah. racing yeah racing's not healthy for me anymore and I, ha- I had the whole time yeah I mean and that's the small level this is this thing that just doesn't allow me to ride a bicycle quickly right I mean dude you came back from like TBI well for me you know like I said from from the first moment despite what I had thought originally I I wasn't gonna give up you know and now you know the past six months have been the hardest most difficult most frustrating of my career and I'm and I'm 90% there. You know I can't throw on the towel now. You know what I mean. And there's been so many times in my career when, like coming back from my brain injury, I was just the whole that whole season. I'm just at the back of the peloton, just dying every day, just never feeling good. I'm just like, yeah, I'm done at the end of this year. I'm done. I'm done. Like I can't do this. It's you know like you said. You know you're just beating your head against the wall and you just can't get through this barrier. And it's yeah. just not worth it. And then one day, I almost won a stage of the Dauphiné. I lost by an inch. Yeah. And I just had amazing legs, and it all came together. And literally that morning, I was thinking about what I was doing next year outside of cycling because I was done. I was like, that day I decided I was going to, I'm done, I'm retiring. And then I almost won, and that changed everything. I was like, okay, I'm back. I can do this. I, can. I was doubting this whole past year and a half if I could be back at this level again and now I am and then it then it took off from there it's just a, a switch in your head you know you just need that one thing to keep going yeah. Yeah, yeah so yeah that's I'm searching for that exact same thing right now and that's why I don't want to give up because I, I felt that I've been in this place before and it just takes one day and, and you know it's there you know yeah on a long enough timeline it's coming yeah yeah it takes a lot of faith to know that yeah it takes a lot of it takes trust, and I, I, I don't know. I don't know what you're trusting. I don't know if you're trusting the process, you're trusting yourself, you're trusting the sport. I don't, I don't know what the, what you're trusting in that moment. Do you? I trust that God didn't give me this obstacle yeah. without a reason. You, you're a guy. You, you have a lot of faith in your life. Huh? Absolutely, absolutely. I've never, I've never really, it's never really been a part of my life, and sometimes I, I think I'm better for it than I think I'm worse for it, but I can only imagine in, in the, like, with your TBI, like, that, that had to have been such a, 
a place of support and like leaning on. No, my my faith in Christ for sure is huge. I find huge solace in that in the toughest moments, whether it's uh, a death of a friend or a family, or you know, an, a huge obstacle in in my life. You know, I I believe it's all. I believe you don't get anything you can't handle. You know, so when you're a badass, when you're a tough mofo, you can handle a lot. That kind of that kind of sucks because <laughs> you got a lot of work to do, you know. No, humans. I think we were meant to be able to handle things. That's what separates us from like animals. It makes us. I think it's like a lot of time what we love about animals. Yeah. Is that they have. They. If you give them the right things, all they have is like joy in their life. Right. Like they don't have the struggles mentally that right. we do. Right. Um. Sometimes I think it'd be better just to be an animal. <laughs> I no, that's a mentality I've thought of a lot too. Like I had uh, our old dog Ella. Uh, we only had her a couple of years. She got sick and, and died. But um, you know, when when she was going through all that and we ultimately lost her, I was just thinking about her mentality and how even though the shit was hitting the fan and she was sick and she just didn't feel very good how just the little things she was so happy and she didn't yeah she didn't get home didn't, on things so. right she didn't care that she was dying yeah. you know she was just happy to be with her uh her pack you know her mom and dad yeah and i was like man if, she, if you can go through that and just have that kind of goldfish mentality you know what i mean i think if you can find a way to remove all your defenses and like live with that kind of like like love and acceptance of people like closer to the skin and that's been hard for me because like I've battled a lot of depression issues and I'm trying to like not cover those up just like I'm not going to see this one person's success as a threat I'm going to I'm going to be happy for them and not like I'm going to be happy because I should be happy I'm going to be happy because I know what that feeling's like, and I'm glad that somebody's feeling that. Right, right. Um, man, I gotta say, like, I have very few moments in my life that I, I, I have like such good defense mechanisms that I've built into my psyche that I can forget most awful things. Um, but that day in Georgia, man. That day in Georgia, we were, uh, for those who don't know, Georgia this this year was particularly, like, I don't think the early break would go for an hour and a half. It was just, every day we were racing for, like, 100K until that early break went. And uh, we were zooming down this highway. I mean, really fast. Like, critical speed fast. And so, so fast that everybody realized we were going fast. And you crashed. You went from whatever we were going to zero really quickly. And I remember uh, E. McGregor, one of your best friends, him and I saw it. And I remember that we just, like, like we almost, I remember wanting to vomit. You know what I mean? Like, I just, uh, like, I think that was one of like, the first time in my life started, like, really without feeling like I should, but, like, I was really, like, sad for somebody. Yeah. Because we didn't know. And then, like, it was really eerie because then Ian and I are at the back of the ambulance lying to each other, basically. Like, no, nah, he's fine. 
we're, we're lying. And then the ambulance comes by. And the ambulance never passes the pack. They'll use because it's never really an issue. Right. They'll find an alternate route. Right. They'll go around the race, whatever. They never make the race pull over the side of the road for the ambulance. And then they did that there. Fucking like everybody knew, dude. Like, the pack didn't race. I don't think we raced for the next 60K. Wow. It was... Yeah, man. I, I was a really fucking quiet pack. And, like, I was really fucking scared for you. It's interesting, like, hearing these stories... You know, years later, and just like getting the bits and pieces. I obviously don't remember anything. I don't remember sure. anything for for two weeks. Um, and from what I hear, it sounds like that's a really good thing. Um, so yeah, you know, for me, I. It must be surreal to have people tell you stories like this. Yeah, I mean, you could tell me I was abducted by aliens, and that's why you don't remember two yeah. weeks, and that's why, you know, it took a year to come back, and I'd be like, okay, that's kind of crazy, but I believe you, you know. Yeah. It's just so weird. But, um, yeah, it's interesting to hear down the road people's... And more so than just the details. That's just kind of trivial. and sure. I don't even really need to know those. Yeah. But just to hear people's, like, your kind of emotional reaction to that image just now, you know, yeah. like five years later or whatever. It's like... I think it makes uh, you... It made me realize, like, how not equipped I am for, like, real-life shit. Yeah. Because I... I imagine, like, okay, what if you and I were on a train ride, and that exact crash happened, and we were going that fast, and you stopped that quickly, and you weren't responsive? Yeah. It makes you realize, like, how powerless you are as a human, because, like, yeah. I could have done nothing but cry over you. Yeah. Like, I could have called 911 and just waited. Yeah. That's why I took first aid class last fall. Yeah. Because that exact situation, you're at, how many times are we out in the middle of freaking nowhere in Spain? Yeah. Just with your friends, hot dog on descent. And you're just ripping it sixty miles an hour on descent. Yeah. All it takes is some car going the other way and somebody's flattened on the grill and yeah. the shit is hitting the fan. What uh did you take? Did you take like uh CPR? Yeah, just general, general first stuff. aid CPR stuff. Yeah. yeah, and you know, talking about multi dimensional life, yeah, that's something I wanna do more in the future. Get more first aid training and like you know, our lifestyle, and we're around active people, we're doing active things, and I spent a lot of my time out in the middle of nowhere taking risks, you know, whether it's skiing or mountain biking or cycling, and, uh, yeah, it only takes one, one yeah. misjudgment from, from you or, or your, your friend or partner or teammate to have a really tough situation. Yeah. How did, uh, your chick Warren, she's, she's amazing, huh? Yeah, amazing. To... I mean, how hard was that on her to see her husband, like, that jacked up? And then there must be a part of her that just goes, like, maybe you shouldn't race. And she's never, she's always been 100% behind me. And just to have that kind of uh, unconditional support all the time, no matter what, is, is huge. You know, like cycling is such a hard sport, and sure, for sure being married to Lauren. You know, definitely helps a lot in those in those tough times. You know, like yeah. like right now. <laughs> do you do you? How much of that do you bring home? Like, let's say you have a frustrating race with that, Well, that's what I love about Lauren is you know she's not 
she's not a bike rider she's not from the cycling world at all and I walked in the door from racing or training or whatever and it's just you know total 180 into regular world you know so I can totally shut off that part of my brain so it's it's really really refreshing you know and do you download to her at all or do you just kind of keep that on the road to keep that set does she know how frustrated you are yeah yeah I mean the this season in this situation yeah yeah we've had some probably some of the deepest conversations we've ever had yeah you know just about life goals and current state of mind and being depressed and did you, you know get, what did you get some of the depression issues after you yeah actually that was a huge thing um as is pretty common with traumatic brain injuries. It's very common. Um, yeah, man, you just get. Did you know they were happening? Because for me, it took it took a while for me to realize that it's not what I think it is. It's me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because for a while, when those when those when those swings come, you can make it about other things. Right. A person, a situation. Right. But then you realize, like, no, 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 you're you're just not happy, dude. You kind of, yeah. So did you, did you know that it, it was you, or? Well, I mean, a lot of things with the with a brain injury, it's like, you have your perspective, but that's not necessarily what reality is. And it takes your wife or your your close friends who who see you all the time, and say, dude, you're kind of off. You know, you need to. Did you have somebody tell you that? Yeah, Lauren for sure. I mean, she's kind of like my second pair of eyes. That must have been really hard for her. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you gotta kind of call the other person out, you know. Yeah. Um, how are you? How are you acting now? Like, how? What? What? What made her kind of finally tell you? I mean, not exactly, but what kind of? Well, you just. I'd say a big thing, and it still continues. Like, you know, I, I've there's still a few symptoms I think that carry over even even five years out, you know. And, one of them that was extremely prevalent like within the year of my my brain injury and now literally only my wife and I could tell or not even I only my wife you know is like I get so fixated into one frame of mind and I just make this assumption that everybody else thinks that way and if you don't think that way you're I think you're nuts like how do you not think that way it's so obvious it's just one and one is two you know it's, yeah and I would just get still get frustrated when other people don't think the exact same way as I do, you know, like to, to the point of being angry. Or? Yeah, yeah. And so even now, that's something that so she like, has to she has to call me out on. You know, you become very unbending. Yeah. Very rigid. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I remember when um, Saul Raisin had his head injury, and he told me that he would just compulsively lie for no reason. Whereas not before. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know, man. It's gotta be. It's gotta be really scary, just. Yeah, I mean, that brain injury. There's just no rhyme or reason to, you know, little quirks and things you do. And, right. Um, one thing that was really huge with me, and I, I learned something was when I when I would get tired, when I was just maxed out physically or mentally, I would get really depressed. Like that was sort of the trigger. For depression, and that and that still is. I mean, how long would it, how long would it last? Like, when would it come on? 
um, until I literally physically rested. Yeah. You know, like I would, and and now I've I've learned to use that as a tool. Like if I'm kind of grumpy or depressed for like no real obvious apparent reason, mm-hmm. I'm probably tired. Like right. I just need to take a day off today or take a nap and yeah. just kind of hit the reset button. Just come back. And even even now I mean I. I use that tool all the time, you know. Like it's like a kind of a telltale sign if I'm if I'm fatigued, either physically or mentally, as I'm depressed or grumpy. And, yeah. Um, so it's kind of been almost a positive thing because it's yeah. just like this big obvious alarm. Hey, when you need to recover better, yeah, then you're grumpy or depressed, and so you do something about it. You know. Yeah. No, you do need that. I think for me, it's like, if I know that I haven't left the house before 11.30, I see something, like, coming, I'm like, because normally, I like, you run out the front door. Yeah. Like, you want to be, for me, like, out on the run, gym, on the bike, I want to be on it by 8, 8.30. Yeah. If I'm, like, still looking at the internet at 11.30, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, fuck. Yeah. I might, I might need to go to stand outside in the sun, because this could get really <laughs> bad coming up. This could be a bad thing. I wondered, with as many, uh, I was talking to Phil Gaiman about this, with how many people, uh, how do I phrase it? I think with cycling, you see a lot of people who take their immediate self-worth off of that result or that train ride that day. Yeah. Like, you're only as clever and as funny as your placing yeah and I remember that really annoyed me towards the end of my cycling career was there'd be a guy who was you know winning the race or winning the stage and you know he's shit for brains Hammenager who could just ride a bike fast yeah hasn't had an original idea or thought in his life but because he won the race he's cool that day he feels like he could talk down to you the next day and like try to out shit talk you and you're just like I don't know, dude. Yeah. I don't know. I'm pretty mean. I can be really mean if I need to be. Um, I I wonder how many cyclists kind of suffer that, unknowingly suffer that depression. Yeah. That just, like, the little self-hate and the little self-doubt that creeps in. When, when I was ski racing, I was elite ski racing, or elite ski racer my whole junior career. I never raced a bike as a junior. Um... I was a ski racer, full gas in the ski racing. When I stopped ski racing and picked up bike racing, that was the biggest thing I took from ski racing was I just put so much pressure on myself, and my entire self-worth was tied to how I did in the last ski race. And if I sucked or if I crashed, it was... You couldn't show yourself. Yeah, I was just a worse person because of it. And I told myself, you know, here I am, and then I start bike racing, I have no idea what I'm doing. I know if I if I learn one thing from 10, 12 years of ski racing is I'm not going to put this pressure on myself. So I started bike racing and I just I just didn't care. I didn't care if I won or lost. You know, I just really? did my best and I wasn't attached to the result. Like if I lost or is it because you didn't really care about bike racing at that point? Because you had nothing to really lose at that point. Exactly. So I kind of which is a, that's a great place to be in a lot of it's times. It's an amazing place to be. It's often tough. It's the result of a tough situation to be in a place where you have nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, 
But, um, yeah, in that situation when I started my career, it, it wasn't a tough situation. It was the fact that I had the options to yeah. pursue something, and if it didn't work out, then no worries. I live in America. I'm a middle-class white guy. I can do anything yeah. I freaking want. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, you have nothing to lose. So I took the ball and run with it, and I think that that certainly divined the large part of my career, you know. And I think a lot of the, you know, do you try to remind yourself that you have no Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, you get deep in your cycling career and, you know, you start making money and, you know, there's more bigger prestigious opportunities or situations or races or whatever. And you kind of, you start becoming more attached to it and because it becomes, cycling's all-consuming, whether you like it or not. It's like, you know, it's a part of you, you know. And, but you still have to keep that distance away from it, even though it's your paycheck, even though 24 7, 360 days a year, it's all about bike racing. It's, it, it makes me wonder, like, when you quit racing and, and you get the other job, if you don't necessarily care about your new job that you're going to get, it's very, maybe it comes easy to you. Like, what do you think you're going to get that... Do you think we'll have to learn where to get that positive reinforcement from? Do you think... Because we're just not used to getting it from uh, significant others. I mean, and maybe friends. We, we've tied so much into a third party. Mm -hmm. The third party being cycling and the results. Do you think that will that you can just immediately take that out and put it all back on... The the girls in your life, or do you? Or because you're saying like you need this constant gauge. Yeah, where is it? I guess I don't know if as soon as you quit cycling and you don't have the positive reinforcement, do you not look for it anywhere else? Do you just say, "Oh, my family is my gauge now," or do you, or do you still try to find it somewhere else? I think it's hugely important to set new goals you know as an athlete I certainly am but I'm sure most uh, most athletes in all sports are very goal oriented and you know after you're done with sport and you don't have goals you know what yeah. how do you how do you measure that like my biggest my biggest nightmare is not knowing what I want not having a goal whether that's sitting at a restaurant looking at a menu or what do I want in life? What is my, my major objectives in life? And anything between. That's just my worst nightmare is not having a an objective or a direction. You feel unmoored. Yeah. You feel just bobbing around in yeah. the water. Yeah. 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 No. And I mean, even even if your goal is just so difficult or whatever, yeah. at least you know that's the direction you're going. There is this reckless abandoned feeling when you charge at a, a seemingly impossible goal. Yeah. You feel like you go back to having nothing to lose because you shouldn't be able to pull this goal off. Right. And people, You tell people this goal and they think you're ridiculous. Right. But you still... And I always got a high off of that. Like when I was start, oh, yeah. starting my career, it's like I'd be doing this training or that training and you know, my regular person friend would be like, are you freaking kidding me? You are insane. Yeah. And I would love that. I yeah. would love it when people thought I was crazy because I was doing something so 
difficult or so unique. Yeah. I love that. You know. I I love doing training that went too far. Yeah. That okay, well I'm gonna ride for three hours and then can you motor pace me up this fifteen minute climb five times? Yeah. And we're gonna go faster and faster every time. Yeah. And that like you know most people only do this climb twice, but you're gonna do it five times. And then you're gonna try to vomit at the top. <laughs> you know? Like that yeah. kind of Yeah, you need those one-off things once in a while even though physically it might not be the best training because you're just way overdoing it but just to mentally go there yeah be in that room in your head where you're just absolutely pushing the limit you gotta you gotta do that sometimes they like the always i feel like it's a cop-out when people say oh yeah it's this masochistic part of yourself part of yourself but i I don't know if it's masochistic. I don't know if it's about the pain. I think it's about accomplishing what nobody else did. Absolutely. Yeah, you you know, you read in the media, everybody who's a recreational cyclist, oh, suffering this, suffer fest that, oh, I love the pain. And it's like, I hate it, man. I hate pain. I hate yeah. suffering. It sucks. It is yeah. freaking hard. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. But... Accomplishing a goal, you know what you said I have to do, even though it's extremely difficult, makes it all all worth it. Yeah, I. Too Somehow, much. that's what's masochistic. Yeah. It's like, despite all that pain, you're gonna go through it all just to do what you said you were gonna do. Yeah, cause, But you don't have to like it. Yeah, I. Yeah, because I think masochistic is you enjoy the pain, but I think for us, it was the willingness to okay I want to I want to do this climb five times yeah cause I will know like I can go to bed knowing that I couldn't do that climb anymore there's yeah. the self doubt and the right. questioning right, is right, now right. I've ab- I've abated that thought for at least a day yeah and I think that we find a peace in that yeah. and if the pain is something that we have to go through to get to that peace then Absolutely, we'll do it. Yeah. But I, I don't think that we enjoyed the pain, per se. No. No. So what do you got going on for the rest of the year? Races after this? Uh, Quebec, Montreal. That's, that's it. No more Europe? Not going back? No. Unfortunately, no. Maybe some guys will get injured, I guess. Yeah, it's that <laughs> time of year. I mean, people get tired. The schedule is always, in October, September, it's always up in the air. Right, so. right. What's going on, homie? Yo. What's up, man? I'm just from Canada. Perfect. Came a little way. Our daily red. Um. Yeah, you know, I was, um, I've got this last few bits of racing here, and, um, you you know, on, on paper, looking at my power files and everything, everything is... Thanks, buddy. Thanks for the wine, bud. Hey, Kenny. It, you want to you hang out for a bit if you want? Cheers. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's back in the ballpark, you know. Um, so like we were saying, you know, it just takes it just takes one day. Yeah. You know, a switch in my head, you know. And So, um, yeah, I'm definitely busting my ass, doing my best and, and confident going into the rest of this race in, in Quebec, Montreal, which I, I really like those races, the races at Sumi, so I, I want to 
end the season on, on a good note yeah. and not on being tired and frustrated and depressed yeah. and angry. Um, I'm a Timmy Dugan fan, man. I don't want that to happen. Thanks, man. I do, uh, I'm, I'm very rarely a fan of other, like... Because it's hard because you know them as people, right? It's hard to be fans of your colleagues. You can like them as people and you can be their friends, but it's hard to be their fans, too. Because yeah. you're a direct competitor. Yeah, and yeah. Et cetera. Uh, Nationals, the year you won. Uh, my back was really bad that day. I couldn't climb much. Pulled the pin. Uh, I'm changing, showered, and I, I I look out and I see that you're out the front. And I I, do, I I couldn't get to that course quick enough when you were in that finishing circuit. I remember just oh man, I was like standing in the road, just like freaking out. You know, it's funny like to be rooting on somebody's not yeah, on yeah. your team. Yeah. It was. Do you, when you're riding good, at least for me, when I was riding really good, I could, um, I can replay, like, the last hour or two of the race almost bit by bit. It's, yeah. It's, you're still it, in the it's zone. It's in the hardware now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, was that like that for you, or? On, on that day in particular, it's kind of the same, but opposite. Like, I had visualized that race in that moment and that, that win so many times in my head that when I was actually doing it, it was like I was watching TV. It was like I was just going through the motions, doing what I've watched on TV a thousand times. It was eerie. Yeah. And, um... Was there any part of you when it was like 1K to go where you... When you knew it was going to happen, though, like, you allowed that into your... Into no, your I, I never... I didn't allow that to happen until I crossed the finish line. Seriously, like, the last 50 meters were the most... I was freaking out. I'm just, like, expecting the Peloton to come, come zooming by me. Because like, this shouldn't be happening. You're like, this, well, this, this doesn't happen. That that spring, I was in the breakaway in Volta, Catalonia. And um, I was in the break all day. And uh, the final climb, we were, like, staying away from the for the win, right? And uh, the final climb at Splinters, and there's uh, Albacini and another guy off the front. And me and another dude are going for third and fourth and okay it's I'm, we're not going for the win at this point because they're 30 seconds up the road but you know third or fourth at catalonia I'm, I'm happy with that so and it's like 2k to go 1k to go like peloton's not even in sight I'm like oh got this in the bag podium sweet and not that we're coasting but we're, we're yeah. going hard but no stress right and then all of a sudden like we get inside of the k to go and the peloton is coming so fast and they're still so far behind but I'm like, no, no problem, no problem. And then, I mean, they must they must have closed like 20 seconds in the last 500 meters, it seemed like. Because I went from, like, they literally caught us in, in the last 10 meters, 20 meters before the finish line. So in that space, I went from third to 20th. Just got it. Just got and just like, how can you lose it that quickly? Yeah. So that, and... It's just such a hollow feeling. Oh, it sucked. It sucked I, so bad. It wasn't even the wind, but just like... No. Uh, just get ripped away from you in the last meters. Yeah. And I'm just like, that will never happen again. And so, at uh, yeah, at Nationals that year, that year, I'm off the front by myself, and I never looked back. You know, I attacked like 12K to go or something. I never yeah. looked back once. 
until I crossed the finish line. I was like, oh, I got it. That's funny. And that was, you know, that, like, if I was going to learn a lesson from that day at Catalonia, it was you know, never look back. <laughs> never take it for granted. Yeah. I, uh, when I was doing a lot of track racing, went to this World Cup, and uh, on Garmin that year, we had, like, pretty, remember those year, yeah, yeah, yeah. big bonuses. Yep. JV had some hefty bonuses. Yeah. One of the bonuses, just getting top three in a World Cup, was, like, it was a bit, it was a good pay chunk. Yeah. That you and Danny and Friedman and, and Huff. It was the next year, even. It was the next yeah. year after that. It was basically just Huff and I. Yeah. Uh, and I was at the Manchester, so I was in the Manchester World Cup, and then the points race, and I'm just on, just, every time I attack, we lap. Every time I go for a point sprint, I get points. Everything's happening. And yeah. I look up, and it's the last sprint. I think I was like in second or third place. And I was like, oh, this is fucking great. I'm going to get a medal at a World Cup. And uh, I had talked to Hayden Rulston before the race. And we both agreed that um, if one of us was in position to help the other without hurting their own result, that we'd help the other. Because we both have... Uh, bonuses. We would, mm -hmm. we would share our bonuses. Mm -hmm. So it's maybe nine laps to go and this group takes off, but it's a pretty non-threatening group. And Hayden was right in front of me. I could just tap him on the hip and said, just just line it out, go for it. Maybe 3K. I didn't do it. And uh, that group lapped on the last lap, just barely lapped, and I went from third to ninth, just in the blink of a fucking eye at the yeah. World Cup. Yeah. I remember that just like nobody will know how good you race today. Right. right. It won't show. You can't right. explain it. Right. Enough. Yeah. To let people know like how on you were this day. Yeah. 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 You you have that image of winning where you can just kind of coast the last kilometer and mm. blow kisses to the crowd and give high fives and while that is awesome. It is so rare. It's incredible. It, it never happens. So right. it's, you know, it should never be your expectation that you are going to be able to do anything but give absolutely everything until you cross the finish line. Because nobody's going to give it to you. Yeah. You know? When did it sink in, like, holy shit, I won the U.S. National Road Race? Like, when you get your first liquid gas team kit? <laughs> yeah. When is it? You know, like, things start changing. Oh, you got your own custom bike? Yeah. There's all these little special details that you get now. Yeah. I don't know. It was, it was a huge, huge thrill. But, like, it's almost kind of a buzzkill when you accomplish a goal that you've had for so long. Because then you do that, and then you're just, you're, like, at zero, right? You're Is like, it, like, anticlimactic? Like, you did it. Okay. Kind of. Like, you're happy. But you're just like content. You're like, well, I've been wanting to do this for years. I've been busting my ass for years, yeah. and now I have it. It's a ma it's, you know, if it's a math equation, then it worked out, and yeah. it's obvious that I got what I wanted. You know. Yeah. So, yeah, you but enjoy the way, it. The way the sport works, it makes it's not like winning the lottery. Yeah. You know, it's not like this big out. It's not a surprise. Yeah. You know? I like I remember that. You know, we were talking in the beginning when I was second behind you at uh, under 23 nationals in the time trial, that was my, my breakthrough result, you know, I was yeah. still a minute behind you or something, but, <laughs> but um, that was my breakthrough result, and I, I remember 
you know, I nobody knew who I who the heck I was, and some reporter or whatever is asking me, you know, how crazy this is, what a surprise. I'm like, no, it's not a surprise. I've been busting my ass since I started bike racing for this. What I'm talking about, man. That's the lack of bullshit response. Just yeah. like, no, no, I, I kind of saw it's coming. But but then it goes back to like our kind of addiction as an athlete conversation. It's like you're never high enough. It's never good enough. You're ne- like, when are you going to be happy? If you just won this race or that race and you're only content, like what more, what more is there? I think it's how quickly the races move. I mean, you race 80 times a year, man. Yeah. How many of those races can you win and hang your hat on? Right. Uh, a Tour de France World Championships, a classic. Right. So maybe 10 races out of 80, right. you can hang your hat on for the rest of the year. You can just kick your feet up and you'll have a job. Yeah. Everybody else, I I think we're forced, we're forced to put shit in the back of our minds really quickly. Because, yeah. dude, you did nationals. I'm sure you got on a plane to Europe relatively quickly after that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, the next day, and no, I was racing the Dauphiné three days later. Yeah. yeah. And you can't just dine out. On right, the exactly. Yeah. Like, nobody the Dauphiné, like going to give you any bricks because you're now the U.S. national champion. Right, exactly. I, I, that speaks to the, the level of the sport, you know, it's like, there's, n- there's no gifts, you know, it's never easy. There's a yeah. hundred guys behind you who are going to take it if you don't take it, you know. There's 180 dudes in the race and only one gets to win, man. Yeah. It's, it's a race of being somewhere in the margins. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, it's, everybody's so good, everybody has the same equipment, and it's like, just, I think at the end of the day, it's, you know, it goes back to that switch in your head, you know, what you believe you can do, what you allow yourself to do, everybody has the same training, everybody's capable, it's just, do you allow yourself to, to do it, do I allow myself to do it, because we all got it, we can all do it. It's just a matter of putting it all together in the, in the moment, you know. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you. It was an excellent conversation.